<laughs> oh man. Okay, last question. Brandon. This is serious. So this is deadly serious. More serious than the resurrection. Definitely. <laughs> You're talking. You want to hear something funny? I hear you. It better be funny. Yeah, go. I watched a TED Talk on how to be humorous. Right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I was intrigued. I went down a rabbit hole of... I didn't have work today. For real? For reals. I went down a rabbit hole today and I started watching TED Talks. um, Creating useless things. uh, How to be humorous. And a few other funny TEDx's, and people are really cool out there. Okay, so really cool in that they're they're doing things, they're getting on stage, they're talking about creative, the creative, their creative world, and and I was intrigued, and I hung around TED Talk for a good hour and a half. All my kids were at school. My wife was gone, and uh, I didn't have work today, so I hung out with the dog and watched TED Talk. So, riddle me this. Um, humorous. Do you have any take-home tips for the listener? Uh, practice. Because right now you look dead serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy... Practice? Was, what are we practicing? Practicing to be humorous. Okay. It's, it's still a, not It's helping. a skill. No, it's, I guess it's a skill. So this guy's a nerd. He was an engineer. He was not funny. Um, what did it, it was? He got voted. Sounds some, like he's still not funny, honestly. <laughs> unless you pick he, this up, he got. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's the funny part. He's. You look at him. You're like, nope. When he's talking, you're like, nope. And then he all of a sudden just kind of comes alive, and then he disappears. Then he comes back, and you're like, dang. Okay, I get it. How to be funny. But it, it's the idea of being funny enough to where it, you engage people in the moment. You practice to where you're not remembering what you wanted to say or what you wish you had said four hours ago. He, you kind of refine and practice to where you get it, where you do it in the moment. Mm. And and so that's kind of how he comes off. Like, I just practice this and, and you know, he started a long time ago when he was a kid. Um and he was like, I'm not, no good, no good at this. But uh, after being an uh, engineer for, I think it was Procter and Gamble, or being in tech and doing, I don't know, internet, whatever, not even that, IT stuff, not internet stuff. He uh, said, I, I quit, and he uh, decided he was going to do stand-up stuff and talk with people. But really, the point being is in, in corporate world, the ability to be humorous at the right moment improves a whole lot of who you are in the company, your job status, getting paid more, uh, a whole lot. I'm even down to family and finding a good finding wife a mate with your confidence. 
Confidence matters a lot. Humor is important. Yeah, he made the point that he tried to make uh, comedy out of math when he would pick up women, and that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you can meet a statistics nerd or another math nerd, lady, or man. I wish wish I'd known the end of the story. Did he actually find a wife and... Oh, so we don't know. So for all we know, this is just somebody telling you the way it should be without anything to back it up. I have a feeling Do that... Do you remember his name, Jeff? No, but I have a feeling... <laughs> I, had a, I have a feeling that he uh, backed it up. He was a humorous guy. So there's a lot of words, and I believe you, but without specifics, what would people search for to find whatever video you were talking about. It was probably TEDx. Because I still don't know how to get more funny. How to be... Humorous. Humorous. Something You go into the boardroom. Hey, guys, I'd like to start off something with a... Just with a (laughs) knock-knock joke. (laughs) I'm guessing it's a little more than that. Okay, stop trying so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Knock-a-knock. All right, now you're Googling it. Okay. No, just keep going. That's fine. I don't know. We're going to get, we do have a guest tonight in just a couple of minutes. We're not going to go 40 minutes like we did with, before we got to Matt McDonald, which bless his heart. I mean, not bless his heart. That I love how you're rude. talking like we're on the radio. We are on the radio. People are listening now and we are important. Um, yes. So we got Brandon Carlton tonight. He's got a little book that he wrote. That's not demeaning. It's just, it's a little book about him questioning where he's at and finding comfort in what's after that. It's called Meaningful Again. And he also has a podcast, which I didn't get a chance to listen to, full disclosure, but hopefully he'll talk about that a little bit. And most importantly, he sent us beer. He sent, he's from, it looks like he's from Iowa. He sent us a few selections from... uh, They look great. Raging River, India Pale Ale, Gateway IPA. Uh, Front Street Brewery in Davenport, Iowa. And then also there's a vanilla bean porter, which I had. I know porters are not your bread and butter, Jeff. No, I will not be. Vanilla bean porter. I'll smell it. Was terrific. Balanced. A little bit of molasses in there, I'm thinking. I could put it in my ice cream, I guess. You could. You could do a a float with this thing. It is great. (laughs) Actually. And then we have another one we haven't tried yet. We'll try the West Coast IPA from Great River Brewing as well. He wanted to give us something that's a style from our backyard. And I sent him several, so hopefully he'll tell us how he enjoyed those. Um, But I do have one thing before we give him a call. Do it. Just thinking about, I I lost my phone. My phone died. And so I was overnighted a replacement because I paid for insurance, (laughs) which is great. But I didn't load social media at all for the first week and a half. And Jeff... It was tremendous. No social media. For it how long? Un- 10 for days? For like a week and a half. Yeah. Wow. It, it was... Oh, that's right. I'm I, not... I kind of knew about this a little bit. Well, I think I'm, I didn't really talk about it, but I mentioned it. You went cold turkey. And it was great. I I just recently did. Mostly it's for the podcast, posting stuff at Bros Bibles Beer on socials, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Shameless. Follow us. Give us a follow and uh, tweet at us and... Instagram us and whatnot. And whisper us, softly to us. Send us pictures of your <laughs> drinks, whatever you're drinking or reading, reading recommendations. Thank you. <laughs> oh, what am I going towards? Okay. Okay. I, 
on a side note, I actually did find something. Oh, you found his name. I know. I searched for humor in TED Talks, and I got on reading the Quran. And I'm like, all right, we'll keep going here. Gosh. Now that was your version of being humorous. No. <laughs> no. Well, I, I did find it funny. And Scott would find that very funny. On reading the Quran. Scott's obsessed with Muslim videos. More likely uh, apologetics videos defeating Muslims. Okay, where are you going with this? Well, I just... Was it freeing? There was this... Yes, it's very freeing. But I get on to see a tweet in my timeline that somebody I don't follow, I don't know who this is. Um, This is uh, Seth Dunn, at G. Seth Dunn. Uh, Christian, husband, father, Alabama fan, accountant, theologian, in that order. He's got over a thousand followers, so it's not just... I don't know what he does. I mean, I just read what he does. He does those things. I don't know what he does for a living. It doesn't matter. However, I just saw a tweet and it said, I submit that a woman who claims to be a pastor is theologically just as bad as a sex offender who is hired as a pastor. And that's when I'm like, why did I turn this shit on? (laughs) why, Why am I on social media? That's just stupid. That's just... I don't even know what his point is. Social media is hard. Anyways, that's what I have another one, but it's a can of worms. We'll talk about it later. Just, just the 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 amount of bullcrap that is flowing from all sides. I feel like I'm the white wall. I'm literally a white wall. Hi Scott. Hey, how you guys doing? Hi, Scott. Great, soft spoken as always. Love it. Mm. <laughs> what noise was that? Did you just have a little orgasm? I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know what that noise was. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's humor. He just did humor. See, Jeff, Jeff has a has huh. a, just a huh. negative disposition towards me, so he doesn't laugh at anything I say, really. <laughs> Jeff was talking about a TED Talk video that was about humor and how to have it and how it will get you further in life. But he didn't remember the guy's name or the name of the video he, or any examples of how we could be more humorous. This guy probably wasn't funny at all. But Jeff spoke with conviction, and I believe him. All right, moving on. Hmm. All right, I think we're going to call Brandon up right now. Okay. Are you doing okay, Scott? Are we going to pour some of this, or are we going to wait to see Brandon oh, pour so we can right watch now. us pour it? Pour it so we can give him an opinion right away. Scott? Yeah, I'm good. Are you drinking? I should. Wait, what did you... Oh, how are you, Scott? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Would you like some beer? Hey, guys. Scott's here. <laughs> you probably want a little more. I'm supposed to be on a beer diet, but... I'll, you know, We are on a beer you diet. Guys, for you guys, I'll break it. <clears throat> oh, the beer diet? So it's just beer? Or yeah. no beer? Yeah. It's not good to drink on an empty stomach. All right, I'm calling him. I mean, I've, I mean, I've eaten. Up I'm always, I've, I've always just eaten. I'm going to move to the other beer. We have Hello. Brandon, how are you doing? Right now, Brandon, do you have any regrets? <laughs> <laughs> in life in general? No, just seeing our faces and you're like, oh, oh. No. nope, wrong choice. No, definitely not. Disconnecting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're here. Let's figure this out. Are you able to we didn't talk about this beforehand but are you able to record on your end at all brandon i am drinking this west coast ipa the great river brewery that you just sent this stuff yeah this stuff's got some punch (laughs) got some pop raging river okay oh yeah that just that just jumped out and bit me 
Oh, that's the, the yeah, West Coast. You guys Coast. have the other. You guys have the Raging River. All right, don't drink. Yeah. That's the only one we have of that. So oh, knock it off, Jeff. Man, he's all put right, his lips all over that already. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the beer, Jeff. Yeah. Here's a glass. This was this was really good, by the way. Just finished. I'm about to crack this uh, the mosaic one. Okay, so we had yeah. that. That was Expatriate by Three Weavers. I, yeah. I'm glad you held that up because I couldn't remember what I sent you. <laughs> there, there was one that looks really good that I was, uh, I haven't, I haven't cracked yet. It's like a rye, sub rye stout or something like that. Oh, the coconut rye stout. Coconut rye stout. Yes. That's it, yeah. That is yeah, a great that one. Looks tasty. Uh, yeah. So that the one, the Raging River. That one is my favorite beer in the, in our area. Mm. We have like a dozen breweries. Um, in our small, like tiny little area, we're right on the Mississippi, and so I guess that r- water is like really good for for breweries. But wait, whereabouts are you? I grew up in uh, in Omaha. Okay, uh, so, so where yeah, are I am, you? Uh, I am I am exact opposite edge of the state. Okay, yeah, yeah. So our, our as in far Iowa. as Iowa goes, yeah. no. I, so I'm technically I'm in Illinois. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So but what where I'm in the Quad Cities. I don't know if you remember the the Quad Cities from when you were in Omaha, but I don't think so. I saw it on the uh, one of the beer labels here. It said Quad Cities, so I saw the Iowa. And... So you're in you're in uh, Illinois, okay? Yeah. So quad okay, help out a total noob who's only lived in California's uh, whole life. Yeah. Quad Cities means. What? That's where they drive lots of um, um, off-road vehicles. I'm going to guess Omaha is one of them. So uh, the Quad Cities is actually five cities, ironically. Um, they well, that's, a, that's a total Midwest thing. You know. <laughs> they tried to change it in the, ni- in the uh, uh, mid-90s to Quint Cities, uh, and nobody, it didn't stick. Although you'll see a couple of businesses that started around that time. Like Quint yeah. City pup, uh, Plumbing or something like that. And it was too late to go back and change it. They thought it was going to take off, and it never did. Um, but, yeah, so it's two – It's well, three cities on the Illinois side, and then right across the river uh, is two more cities. Uh, and so it's kind of like Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas is like mm-hmm. all one big city but on two sides of the state. It's kind of like that. So we're one big landlocked area. We might as well just be one city. Um, we share a lot of uh, municipalities and stuff like that, as far as um, like you know, trash collection and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any good rivalries between like the city councils? Like there, there should be like some death match type scenarios going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's actually we have a very uh, historically. They just changed the laws a couple of years ago, but we have uh, some historically like WWE style council meetings where like people like standing, <laughs> they're like standing up and shouting at each other. Like we're, we're known for that. That's awesome. Well, shout out to Dan Summers. Do you, are you friends with Dan Summers? Oh, wow. Yeah. So Dan is my uh, brother-in-law. Okay. He's been yeah. hooking you up. Apparently has he been the matchmaker with you and getting this, the word out on this book. He has like a little did I know he had all these all these friends that are in the podcasting world, but yeah, he's been hooking me up. Yeah, I saw you were on the Inglorious Pastors, um, and I I purposely avoided it because I know there's going to be some crossover in terms of questions, but 
I like sure. to uh, to avoid it when I know I'm going to talk to the person, just so it's it's fresh and I don't. I don't know if I copy anything, it's inadvertent. So okay, yeah, yeah no, that's fine. I'm sure it'll it'll be different no matter what. I, there's I don't have any like memorized answers or anything like that. So yeah, right on. All right, Jeff. All right, Brandon. Uh, what is your first name? <laughs> <laughs> More of those humor lessons. No. <laughs> Brandon, this book. May I? It, we're you doing may. this, Jeff. You, have, you may. I mean, have me- you podcasted before? Good God, go. Oh, do I speak? <laughs> uh, actually, that's funny. The guy who was doing a TED Talk on humor said his grandmother was testing texting and sent him a message. Dear Daniel... <laughs> she's like no grandma it's texting you don't have to do she's like love your grandma <laughs> if she had put grandma would that put change anything in there too? <laughs> anyway um, so the the copy that we have here the white cover black letters um, yeah I mean it stands out the uh, picture on the back this gentleman right here yeah. Um, I like it. I like the picture. <laughs> Thank you. I, I took it myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, this is the pre-release copy. And wh- when is the... Is this the final book or is this pre-release? No, that is not pre-release. You okay. Know what's, what, what's funny about that is actually uh, Richard Rohr has a, a new book coming out on the Cosmic Christ. Yes. And he posted a, an announcement about it, and I thought he was posting the, uh, oh, okay, awesome, yeah. So he posted something on social media that was, I thought it was the final book cover. And I was like, that's a cool looking cover, I really like that. And then I looked closer at the, the, the tweet, and it was, we're going to reveal the cover later. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a temporary cover. And I was like, I was at, like, at that point in publishing my book where I was like thinking about cover art. And I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, fine. If he's not going to use that, I'm going to steal that idea then and have that real simple. Um, Super clean. You know, cover design. Yeah. Okay. So Mike, I do have a question here. Meaningful again, how one pastor questioned everything and found comfort in uncertainty. When you wrote this, um, what were you hoping or do you hope once people finish this and put it down that they will have gotten from it? What, what are they going to take away? Yes. I talk about it in the uh, conclusion a little bit. Uh, but a lot of what the goal was is I, I felt really, I don't know if you guys can, can relate, but when I was deconstructing, uh, and I still am, but it was a real, really lonely process, and there nothing makes you feel more crazy when you're asking some of these difficult questions. Uh, nothing makes you feel more crazy when you look around and you don't see anybody else also asking those questions, at least in my circle. Um, I, I didn't have anybody. And so that was uh, one reason why I wrote the book was just in the event that it made its way into somebody's hands. Um, who was feeling a little bit lonely as they were going through that process, I wanted them to feel a little bit less lonely. Uh, and also uh, give them permit, give people permission that like you can ask these questions and you can believe these. Um, I found a, I had a lot of beliefs that I thought were really heretical 
uh, that it turned out actually to be pretty like not that far outside of the scope right. of you know of Orthodox faith. But I had thought that they were, um, and so even yeah, just giving people one of the goals is to give people permission to um, yeah to ask those questions and to, and to have those thoughts about God and about religion. So you're a pastor. Yeah. And you're going through, uh, you're questioning things and you're going through, you know, life and you, you know, stand at the pulpit and you're preaching in the back of your mind. Are, are there, is there ever a, a time where you're even questioning the message that you're giving with this coinciding with the struggle and questions you have? And what's that? If so, what's that like? That definitely uh, happened and still happens. Um, there, there's a very, uh, our, our, the group, it's a pretty small group of us that gather, you know, on a, on a um, crowded Sunday, it'd be maybe 20 people. Okay. Uh, and, and it's a very um, open group and they're, and they're also deconstructing. So, but at the same, but not everybody's in the same spot and not everybody um, is willing to, necessarily let go of some of the beliefs that I've already let go of. Um, and so it, there are times when I, I feel like the role of a pastor is to, um, at least in, in our community is to help people, you know, affirm who people, you know, affirm people's views about what they see about God or what, what they think about God instead of necessarily, um, telling them what I believe and how they should believe and that they need to believe exactly what I believe. So that's, there are some like, it, there's some tricky, that, that's, that's a, right. that's a progression that's been happening. Right. Uh, while I'm also wrestling with things, I'm trying to also not be the kind of pastor that just says, Oh, now I believe this. So you guys should all believe that. Now I believe this, you know, so being open and not necessarily hammering people with my beliefs, um, it can be challenging, but yeah, there's been a lot of times when I've, I've, um, one, one example is we, we still do communion. And right. so that's the, th the, that's a really powerful symbolism there. And there's really powerful, um, imagery and done right. I think communion can be something that's really powerful, but, um, there's times when I'm like, I still don't know what I believe necessarily about the act of what happened, um, like in the passion story, but I still participate in some of those rituals. What do you mean by, um, do you use the word done right about communion? What, yeah, do, you, what okay. do you mean by that? I, I think it's easier to say what, um, how it's done wrong. A lot of times, okay. um, a lot of times it is done. I have, I don't want to necessarily like overgeneralize all you know churches across the country but a lot of the churches i was before this church i was a part of as a pastor at three different churches and it was very much in hindsight i don't know how intentional this was but it's very much you communion was used as a way to separate people of who's in and who's out so there's like a very clear depending on how orthodox you are so more orthodox churches you have to stand up and walk to the front right less you know orthodox more modern churches you sit sit in a pew and stuff gets hit you know passed passed down um, but in either instant if you want to or don't want to partake in it it's a public thing that's happening right and so i, I feel like communion done wrong a lot of times is this time where it's marking who's in and who's out uh 
And so when I say done right, I'm, I think the most simple term is just that it, when it's done right, it's an open table where all people are welcome to take communion. Uh, and it's not a sign of who's righteous or unrighteous, who's got it figured out and who doesn't have it figured out. So that it sounds like you have kind of worn your deconstructed, I mean, according to your book, uh, it, you talk about this a bunch. You wore it on your sleeve as a pastor. You you were pretty open about it, um, which understandably, I'm sure that led to there being less people coming to the church. You know, when, <laughs> when you when you go out there and, and there's a lot of like I don't knows or I'm not sure's, the the masses don't want that. They they want the the assurance, and it's I mean it's natural and it's understanding, and it's not always yes. wrong either. Uh, right. But how did it? happen for you to where you you go from pastor I, I don't remember what it was when he first started what the numbers were but was there a triggering point where you're like listen I, I can't just hide this stuff I gotta talk about what I'm going through too what what, what was that moment like if there was a, a catalyst yeah. for that yeah so I'll give you a little bit of backstory that goes along with that so um, I was a pastor like I said at three different churches and I had a a somewhat bad experience at one of them and, and me and my wife left and we decided we wanted to start a new church that was different from the ones that we had been a part of and we had been doing that for about a year in our apartment we were just having dinner with people um, and I was very content with it just staying there and then I started becoming friends with this other pastor in our, in our town his name was, is Jason and his church is was way more at the time traditional uh, they had maybe 40 or 50 people. They were, um, not necessarily, they were somewhat progressive as far as their faith goes, but, um, they weren't deconstructing or anything like that. They were still a very, a traditional church, but me and him started becoming really, uh, good friends. And he started going through his own deconstruction, which kind of led me down or uh, propelled me down this path that I was already kind of headed down. So we started pastoring together. Um, and my church that was meeting in, uh, in our apartment stayed and it was just like a different location or campus that met on Wednesday nights is what we called it. Uh, you know, the Moline campus is what it was called. And then in Davenport on the other side of the river in Iowa, uh, we had the you know, connection Davenport was the name of it. And, uh, yeah. So at that point in time, there were probably 30 or 40, uh, people that were coming, which w that was actually already there had been a pastoral transition right right around that time and so it had already been knocked down by like 20 people uh and then so me and jason started i started helping him out on sunday mornings and we started kind of changing what we were doing and yeah it gradually went down and down and down so there was times when there were sometimes five people there other than us um and there are that those numbers still happen sometimes um so, you know, when you have a high number of 15 or 20, all it takes is a couple of people to be out of town to have the room feel pretty empty. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, that, so I didn't really answer your question necessarily, but the, okay. Jason, Jason really, um, I started being, I'm definitely more of a vocal kind of person. Like I, like he's, I, I do wear my heart on my sleeve. Jason is more of an internal processor. And so we kind of balanced each other out. I would get up in front of everybody and say something somewhat outlandish. And then he would get up and he would kind of, you know, he would balance me out. Um, but the more I started doing that, the more the group in general said, we like that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they, they started affirming what I was saying and saying, you know, I have all those questions too. Um, you know, not that long ago, someone said, I think we should just own the fact that we're a great church for atheists. <laughs> uh, <there's> like, <laughs> like half of the people that come are atheists or at least agnostic. Um, and so that, yeah, Jason really started pushing me to say, or to, to be more comfortable and say, Hey, whatever you are feeling or whatever you're thinking, um, just own it, get up in front of everybody and own it. And I think when you step out in that vulnerability, other people will, um, you know, say, Oh, I feel that way too, which was, um, exactly how it went, which was great. That's great. Jeff. You're holding the mic. Yeah, I know. Um, stop doing I was, it. no, I was thinking about <laughs> something you had said as you started and, and that was, um, you were at a church and things were not going well and, and so you left. I was curious as to what the challenge was. Maybe we should just real quick. No, that's okay. I'm re- Jeff. Repeat that. This is Jeff. <laughs> Scott, so I'm surrounded. So I resonate with this book a lot. I'm surrounded by certainty. These two guys. Because it's white, yes. It's very white with a little bit of black. And I really identify with that. Um, <laughs> what's happening right now? I don't know. I'm just saying... Uh, Jeff is coming from... He's he's a leader at the church that both... In, we go to Jeff and myself okay. and then Scott goes to a different church. But, um, th- that was all is that Jeff, your question is coming from a place you're asking about the church. I just want, we never really introduced ourselves and that was unfortunate, but we I, did I'm know. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Uh, would you, um, I- I'm always curious as to how things go. Do you agree with Zach, how things or? go backwards? <laughs> How, how there's the, so, So, yeah, I, there's a danger there, right? Because there's a lot of, I, I've, I've, I've learned over the last four or five years that a lot of, and I'm not saying this is where your question's coming from by any means, um, but I've, I've learned that there's a lot of people that are still pastoring traditional churches that uh, they, they see what I'm doing or they see that what we're trying to do with our church and they say, um, oh, uh, he just must be really hurt. Mm. He's, he's operating out of anger. Uh, and that... You the, mean I, in regards little, to you and, right. and yeah, yeah, the message they, you're they bringing? Say, oh, yeah, the church, he must have been hurt by the church. Sorry, I wasn't very clear. That, that's the, what the, a lot of traditional pastors have told me. They've even said, hey... Uh, you should come to my church for a season of healing. I can tell you're really, you've been really hurt by the church, uh, which is really condescending. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, I, I say that just to say it's, it's always, there's always a danger when I talk about what happened at past churches, uh, that people are going to go, you know, they're going to think that I, you know, what we're doing is a response to that. Um, but really it, it was, there was a, there was a straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, where me and my wife were both working full-time jobs uh, somewhere else. We were also pastoring, volunteer pastoring at this church full-time, mm-hmm. 30, 40 hours a week. 
Um, and it just became too much. And there was one Sunday morning, I write about it in my book where I was, um, I was the manager of the coffee shop. Cause of course all good churches have to have a coffee shop. Apparently, I don't know when that became a thing. Um, and so I had to run the coffee shop. I was on the, I was on the worship team. I had to print off all the worship music. I had to set up the room, the, the junior high room. And then after worship got done, I had to run upstairs to be with the junior hires. And then when service got done, I had to run back down so I could play piano at the end of the, the <laughs> message. And then I had to clean up this, you know, worship stage and then clean up the coffee shop and then go home. Um, and in all of that, uh, there was a pastor on staff there who actually, in this one morning, um, when I was responsible of all, doing, for doing all those things, there was a pastor there that uh, I... I don't want to, I want to be careful. They, yeah, he, he yelled at me. I, I was yelled at for, for uh, being behind schedule. Um, and, you know, why don't you just do more, Brandon? Right. So that was actually a like, but it was, it, like I said, it was a straw that broke the camel's, the camel's back. It made me realize that, you know, I, I was more, my well-being was not really anybody's priority. Right. My leadership, that was not something that was uh, their priority was, you know, how is Brandon doing? It was making sure the the machine of the church kept running. And so that word machine, and I looked at all the different people that it required all this. I saw people on, you know, Thanksgiving weekend or Christmas weekend missing time with their families so they could keep this machine going. Uh, and I mean, it's all across the board, all these different things that um, I started opening my eyes and seeing um, that there's a lot of unhealthy behavior, and so you pulled the you keep. pulled the ripcord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the church that my wife grew up in, so it was really difficult to leave. Um, right. But yeah, we 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 left, and we took about a year, and we didn't go to church at all. And then we decided we wanted to, to start that church in our apartment. I I play on the worship band, and there's a bunch of players at the church we're at now. Actually, it's the same church I'm describing, but now there's a lot more than there used to be. It used to be every week playing. Yeah. And I remember when it first was switching to more once a month, maybe, you get to play, taking Sundays off and just taking a little break and not going to church, having Sunday morning with the family. That is so (laughs) refreshing. It's so good. I'm going to sit here and wake up, eventually wake up, and then make some bacon and eggs for the kids or whatever. It's so good. Zach, yeah. I want you to know we have your attendance records and we'll be following <laughs> up. <laughs> there is nothing more glorious than a Sunday morning. Yeah. I, Saturday morning. I mean, if you, if you've gone to church your whole life and you, and you know how great a Saturday morning is Sunday morning is like, it's like, Five times as great as a Saturday. This is like an infomercial. Reason. Don't affirm him. Don't <laughs> affirm his. Stop going to so church, we, people. His absenteeism. <laughs> we actually. So this year we started doing Sabbath Sundays. So once a quarter, we don't meet at all. Because um, I, I, I hammer. Um, and actually, right now I have like a couple. I just re, uh, posted a blog today. Actually, why it's healthy to not attend church. And uh, we had last year. We had our last year. Last week at church, we had a, a guest speaker who hasn't gone to church for two years. And I asked her to share um, how great that's been for her spiritual life to not go to church for two years. Um, and so <laughs> it's kind of one of those things like put your money where your mouth is. Like if it, I say from the front all the time, it's okay if you're not here, 
take Sundays off, relax, you know, have some bacon and eggs with your family. Uh, however, if I say that, but then I'm there every Sunday, there's like these two messages being sent. Uh, Hypocrite! So doing... <laughs> Damn it, Scott. And Scott's first words. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we started doing these Sabbath Sundays once a quarter where we don't meet at all. And then actually we take two Sundays off at the end of the year too, um, just to, to give everybody a break and let them reset. It's kind of like IHOP saying, don't eat pancakes for a month. You might go out of business. I, I know. I, I, <laughs> it's so good. I mean, I, when it, I guess I'm thinking, I love that idea so much because I've come from and I have family that, that are growing and they're changing, but there's still like, if we have a family get together where there's a sleepover there in town or we go, we go to visit uh, my parents or whatever, if we don't actually physically go to church, there's always a couple comments like, well, we, we should do a church service or like feel bad. We're not going to church. And that when church is an obligation, I think it's apparent you're missing what church actually is, which is so much more than going one once a week. Um, yes. From, from my book. Yeah. And so it's not about just disregarding church for the sake of disregarding church, it's kind of right. reprioritizing what's important and realizing what you're a part of. And physically going to church is super, it's, it's great if it's a good community and it's healthy and there's, you can have accountability yes. and, and share what people are learning and all that stuff. So I don't want to sound, come off, sound like a hater. And I know it. No, 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 no. That's exactly it is that I, I believe that attending church. Um, and, and I mean this in like a, there's, there might be seasons of different lengths when it's healthy to not attend church. That might be a couple of years. That might be a couple of months. Um, but either way, on any given Sunday, um, there's it, it's equally valid, in my opinion, to attend church as it is to not attend church. Uh, in the long scheme of things, I definitely would push people to be a part of a community. Uh, that doesn't have to be a Sunday morning gathering that you attend and, and sing uh one upbeat song and then have a uh, greeting and then sing two more fast songs and then a slow song. And it doesn't have to be that. <laughs> right. um, but like even, you know, when you're talking about being in regular community and you said, you know, sharing with people what you've been learning and be, being supported and having accountability, that can all happen at your breakfast table on Sunday mornings, right. Yeah, you know, with your family. Um, that can happen at a bar with some friends. That can happen. Um, at a yoga class, that can happen anywhere, really. So I, I'm definitely pro regular community, um, and I also think that this is a, you know, like you said, the uh, IHOP comment, like it, that's really bad for business. Uh, and I genuinely, here's the thing though, is like at the same, if we have a low turnout on a Sunday morning, I picture different people looking at their phone, looking at the clock, whatever, they're maybe they're laying in bed and they're saying, do I want to go to church this morning? And then I picture them thinking, you know what? I, I don't have to, and no one's going to be mad at me. God's not going to be mad at me. My pastor's not going to be mad at me. My community's not going to be mad at me. I really need to sleep. I'm going to go back to sleep. And that makes me smile. However, at the same time, I want people to be there. So it's just like very tough. It's a double-edged sword. Well, yeah, like it really is. A, yeah. If you're a uh, fitness instructor and, you know, five days a week you have clients scheduled to go, you know, work out before, before work and 
everyone just needs, uh, you know, that extra hour of sleep, you know? And uh, It's going to be tough for business. Well, not only tough for business, but tough for the client in their goals of oh, fitness. there's not the growth they were going for. I'm just, I'm I just gotcha. throwing, you know. No, I was waiting a, for this, Scott. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I'm I mean, just, what are your thoughts yeah. on this? No, I, well, I, I, totally, I totally agree. There's nothing that says that church has to be at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. It, it could be in the evening or whatever. Uh, uh, I'm just both sides of... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to go to work every morning. <laughs> but some I, yeah. pesky thing in my mind is saying, you know, you probably, you probably should go to work. <laughs> Obligation, survival, a means. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel just as um, I'm the same way, right? I don't want to go to work every day either. Uh, But how amazing would it be if I did? And I loved it that much, you know? And how amazing would it be if I didn't feel obligated? How amazing would it be if I had this genuine uh, joy out of attending? And if I knew... Um, and so there, there's this idea that I believe in that um, true change or true transformation um, isn't going to happen. And, and I can definitely tie this back into the, the um, fitness concept. First of all, there definitely needs to be off days. Um, yeah. And second of all, I, you know, I think that you can um, not show up at the train. You know, you can skip your meeting with the trainer, but still go uh, for a jog at night or later that day, you can still get fit that in somehow, even if it it, um, isn't with the trainer that you're paying. But I'm a really big believer that that transformation um, only, true transformation only happens when you believe that if you never change, you'll be okay, you'll be accepted. Uh, From there, I think, once you accept that you're accepted, just as you are without ever changing, then I think you, you can change from a healthy place. It's the same thing with fitness, in my opinion. Once you accept your body and accept your, um, the current state of your body, then you know, you're not going to the gym because you're afraid of people making fun of you or you're, you have self-esteem issues or you're, you know, you're not going for um, all these external reasons. You're going because it's something you really want to have. You want to see change in your life, and that's why you're going. Um, but you've accepted the fact that even if I never lose a pound, it's still okay. People will still love me. I'm still worthy of love. Uh, that body acceptance is the same thing that we're trying to get people to have. Um, we, we all have so many, and I'm talking about our group in particular, just because the last six weeks uh, this year we've been going through as a group, what are our motivations for attending church? And we're finding out that a lot of them are really unhealthy. The reasons why we show up every week are for like really, really bad reasons. Um, we're afraid God's going to be mad at us. Uh, we're, we think that's just simply what good Christians do. We're not going, we found out we weren't going to church because we enjoyed it and because we thought it was life-giving. We were going to escape some sort of wrath. Um, we were going to earn acceptance and validation. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really uh, bad for business. But that's why I think the church model, and this is what I lay out in the book, needs to change and that's why we do things differently we have a very limited budget um which is actually with that whatever's in the book those numbers are way higher than they uh, actually are now you fudge um, the numbers oh no they changed <laughs> and, and, and no they changed i i presented so what's today the like february 10th or something i presented a new budget at the beginning of the year and where those numbers are irrelevant now 
So like that is that's just the nature of, of what we're doing. Um, and I'm 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 all for it. I like the idea of changing things up, and I like the idea of trying to come up with a new church model that will um, not require manipulation and guilt and shame in order to keep its doors open. Well, it's a the it's amazing the sales. I mean, the sales pitch of uh, and this is not a cynical point of view, but to you know have something that's good, and then y- there's some questions that people have and you're like you know what if you don't if you don't need it or you can't show up or you you know you don't want it it's it's okay i mean that's you get to make that choice and that in in that lies like a gravitational force of like oh i get to choose nobody's forcing me into this and and so there's yes. there's some sweetness in that when you actually get someone to come back around full circle and come right back and want yeah. to guess, hear the word. I guess I have a question. Like who's, I, I know that there are some, some maybe cult-like um, denominations um, out there, but like. So speaking of the microphone. But like for, like. You don't have to whisper either. You're good. You like for, like you're going to, church is voluntary. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I get that there Ooh, are some. I'd push back against that. I, well, I know, but I, I get, I get that yeah. there are some institutions that uh, might chastise people for it. But where are they? Who, who, who are who? Like, who are they? The Methodists don't do it. Presby- I don't think the Presbyterians do it much. They, I, um, maybe, maybe Church of Christ. Um, I know we're not talking yeah. about the Mormons. Maybe some smaller local communities might do it. Um, but if you don't show up, uh, if, if there's a problem with the way a church does something, you could go somewhere else. Right. Um, I, I'm all for, yeah, if you, want to take a, if you don't want to go on Sunday, on a Sunday or whatever, okay, fine. That, that's not a big deal. Brandon, do you so piggybacking off of that thought, Scott, Brandon, is there a way... Or do you have any thoughts on how churches that don't not they're not cult like and they're not like on the nose controlling people or or being very rigid? Right. But what, are there ways in which people kind of get sucked into that loop of you've you've got to maintain the structure of it and ma- and be a part of that structure from your point of view? Yeah, I think first of all, there's definitely a. Um yeah, I, I don't like to speak in uh, generaliz- generalizations and stereotypes, but um, sometimes in these instances, it's just kind of how things go. But there's definitely churches out there that um, aren't, if you don't show up, they're not, you know, they're not going to express anger of any kind or anything like that. Um, however, there is, I think there's two different things to consider when it comes to um expectations and you know it's not a cult by any means um but it doesn't have to be that extreme it doesn't have to be that explicit so there's a couple of things one is vocabulary in my opinion so um if there is a, a couple or someone who hasn't at- attended church for a couple of weeks how are they greeted is it where have you been or is it man we've missed you Right. So like the, and there's a, there's a, there's an energy behind both of those, um, statements, I'm, right? I'm and guessing you've be, experienced both. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Or nothing at all. You know, just like, oh, hey, how's it going? How was your week? Right. Not even acknowledging the fact that the person hasn't been there. But uh, so that's one thing is there's a lot of different vocabulary um, and liturgical uh, elements that speak to like, so for example, I know many churches that do a, a five to ten minute sermon every Sunday about tithing and why it's so important. Um, they've baked that into uh, what they do every week. Uh, and that is because they need to keep the, you know, the, the lights on and the doors open. Um, and all the, the other thing other than vocabulary is if you look at every church success metric, I, I've been a part of so many pastor trainings and church planner trainings. Every metric that I've seen takes into account attendance and keeping and, and not only that, I've gone to church conferences and you walk down aisles of booths and you have people selling software to help you with tracking attendance. Like this is a, it's definitely a part of the system uh, with the current church model for many churches. Part of the three B's. The three B's, isn't it? I, I know one what? of them's butts, butts and seats. Oh, the three B's. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, definitely. Yeah. Butts, uh, budget and building. So, uh, but yeah, th- those, those are the three B's that I learned about when I was, um, you know, being trained to be a pastor. But so the fact that that is an attend, so my, the denomination that I used to be in every week, we had to send them our numbers of how many people were there. It's very much like we're keeping track of, um, you know, how many people are there and how consistently they're there. And that is how you gauge whether or not you're doing a good job uh, of being a pastor or, or running a good church. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, it might not be somebody up front saying, where the hell were you last week? Or like, you better be here every week. Like, I don't think that's necessarily what it looks like, but there's a lot of other implicit ways uh, that it comes across, I think. And if, if you um, have ever missed church for a period of time and gone back, um, I, at least me personally, when I, when I used to miss church for a couple of weeks, it was very clear that people were looking at me a little bit differently like oh he's not really taking his faith very seriously mm. he's backsliding he's whatever all those different you know terrible terms that that are thrown around um that's very much the energy around uh poor attendance i like that i like the implicit it's it's in it's probably almost well it's probably usually implicit unless you're in a full-blown cult, cult where there's like a super rigid structure it's yeah. The the whatever organization you're a part of is gonna and people that are buying into that that organization or structure is going to want to protect itself and grow, you know, all the while everybody involved could be totally great and have the best of ex, of of intentions, but it still wants to survive and so it becomes implicit encouragement, which can be a healthy thing it can be normal and fine and, and also it can have consequences that result in abuse and guilt right and the idea yeah like, oh go ahead sorry i just say another good example like and anecdotally i think is um i don't know about your guys' circles but this one is familiar to me is the the parents who decided to let their kid uh go to their soccer game on sunday at 11 and miss church and then there's the parents that are there uh, maybe they're on the, the council or the board or some sort of team. And they're like, you know, my, I would never let my kids go to their soccer game. They got to be at church. Uh, that type of stuff is um, done by the lay people, not, not necessarily leadership, you know? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, uh, I mean, in our area, soccer is 
crazy. So when it's in season for sports various in sports, general is crazy. It did, Everywhere. When I was yeah. when I was I just turned forty. When I was young, it was holy mackerel. You are old. I'm old. I have like four gray hairs <laughs> so in my beard. Old. But man, when I was young, there you was no old. Sunday sports. Sunday was like that's your family day, yep. and or you go to church. Probably most people went to some sort of church. But now yep. it's like it, nope, big business sports. You got to prep those kids. Same with when I was younger, it was Wednesday night youth group too. It was like, oh, you have to get out of. I was I played basketball. I was like, you got to get out of basketball practice early on Wednesday night so you can you know be there for youth group. Is that are you? Is this? A, I'm not sure. Is this like a complaint or what? what no, just on? just observation more. But like, wait, with uh, what? Coming on the heels of his comment about Sunday mornings. Well, he was mentioning guilt about. Uh, your kids go to sports and then maybe hearing comments about how right i got that part but yeah. like is it like a bad thing or i'm not I'm is not like uh is not like going don't do that or do that or what i don't i don't know what, well no. i would i would appreciate if somebody didn't guilt me by saying well my kids don't play any sports stop on Sundays. Caring. i thought you stop caring what other people think uh, your, your body's fine just who cares what other people think just yeah. do, do what you want that's fine yeah. Okay. Did you have something, Jeff? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Regarding the attendance, and you know, some churches will—I mean, some people go to certain churches because being in the seats and showing up and being very um, rigid is important to them, and it's important to that congregation. And if you don't show up, and a couple weeks go by, some people within that church might give you a call and, and because they know this is what our church is about. You show up. Um, yeah. And, and so there's some, um, not clarity, but, um, transparency <clears throat> with that. It's a, it's a, uh, like a red flag. Um, I've missed admittedly, I've missed maybe three out of the last five, um, Sundays, at my church, um, you know, but regardless, n- nobody questioned, you know, why I wasn't there. I didn't question. I mean, they were for good reasons. Um, and, and so at, at some churches not being there is, is fine. And, and nobody would, you know, raise an eyebrow, but in some churches, it's kind of a red flag. It's like, Hey, is everything okay? Um, but at my church, it wouldn't th- be as any as everything okay. It would just, you know, it just it is what it is. Yeah, and that's awesome that you have a church like that. Um, and I think too uh, that the, you know, if you are from a, from a, a church leadership standpoint, if your goal is to, a lot of churches market their goal to be. You know, a phrase I hear a lot is, you know, reaching the lost. And I hate Mm -hmm. that term of the lost. But um, if you try to have people go from not being a Christian or not being a church attender and want them to become a church attender, um, let's say they haven't gone to church their whole lives, um, that is a very unrealistic expect. That's a a crazy short on-ramp, if I can use that example. Uh, for them to go from never attending church to always being there all of a sudden, every Sunday, giving up there. So it, like even the, like that um, expectation that gets put on people to be there, uh, you know, you know, new churchgoers uh, to be there every week. 
that is very off-putting to a non-Christian or, or a non-churchgoer right. to be like, oh, I, you know, it's the same thing with, um, you know, giving your money or, or making a donation. It's the same thing. Uh, that is a very big paradigm shift for people. Right, because you're, fu- so you're fulfilling everything that they thought about church, and now they're being spoon-fed, and they're like, this is exactly why I didn't want to be here. Yeah. And, and yeah, to be clear, yeah, there's nothing wrong with checking in on your friends if you haven't seen Not, them for right. a while. And Not there's nothing. It, it just starts to get convoluted when there's systems put in place and, re, and you have a computer where you're marking attendance. And when those people aren't there, there's a red flag that goes up and the greeting team has to make a phone call. Uh, and that also there's these um you know closed doors meetings that happen between church leadership where it's like they're they're like tracking the progress of people like where are they at how come they haven't been going they've been giving less money or like there's all these different like like status reports that are taking place and it starts to get really convoluted um in my opinion uh it it it, it gets there's a departure from oh i haven't seen my friend for a couple of weeks i'm going to call him to oh man you know, we got to keep this person here so we can get their, our, to keep our tennis numbers up right. and, you know, reach all these goals that we see for our, our church. Well, I get that. And I, it, it's not, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that most churches do that. I'm sure there are some that do it. Um, and, and that do what? What, what, uh, the what Brandon just attendance? described. Red flags and software checking yeah, boxes. And, and, and tracking. Uh, I think there's tra- a lot. Well, p- potentially. Well, I mean, a lot relative to what? I, that's is my point. Uh, um, but it's it's not it's not the the church at large. Um, uh, I think a lot, yeah. and for good reason. Well, for one, it's it's okay. Well, what is our one? Yeah, they're tracking budget. If they're tracking individuals, yeah, that's that's problematic. I would say. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Can I? Uh, no. Cut it. No, I, you can't. Okay, I'm going to. Okay, <laughs> so as a as a school teacher, there's been some studies done. Where, where there was more absences for teachers who, when they went into their classrooms and observed, just as just there to observe, they noticed that the teachers that were um, rigid and really blunt with the kids and really showed no compassion, there was a lot more absences and parents calling their kids in sick. Oh wow! And compared to those those teachers who there was an enthusiasm, a humor, a good vibe, and learning was happening. But learning was happening because they had the kids engaged, and so that attendance thing rolls over into church, where you have you take attendance within a church, not because you're like we need numbers, we need money. It's is the message we're giving out. Do are are those that are really schooled in church? Do they are they hearing the truth? Those people are coming back. And then there's the people who are lost and they're looking for hope, um, just like everybody else. But those people come back when they hear that this is a place of community and safety and like this is heaven on earth and I want to come back. And so if a church saw their numbers falling, they would question what, what are we doing that's not engaging and creating a community because just like a friendship circle, that doesn't grow. It, it disappears when you're just not a good friend. And you don't create a good, healthy community where there's some reciprocation, you know, going both ways. So yeah. 
that I, that is kind of what I see, and I always didn't think that. I was cynical to the idea of like attendance and asking, you know, for sure. you know, giving and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, there's there's a reason for it. I mean, you can beg someone to give, but they're going to give if they really believe that they're in a place of great community and they want that to grow. I agree. Yeah, and I think that there is. Um, we're we're speaking about very specific actions like these very zoomed in is their software are they making phone calls like there's these these are like very um micro events mm-hmm. and what i and, and kind of the whole the whole reason I, did, I go into it in my book is not necessarily like here's a checklist of all the things you should or shouldn't do when it comes to church attendance it's more about and it sounds like this is what you're you're talking about and what, what your church culture is like it's more like what is the culture what is the general like attitude um, and experience around attendance? Not necessarily what are the smaller moving parts, right. but what is the general uh, spirit around it? Um, and I do think, though, that there is, that being said, I think that we, because of uh, the, the system that we, um, almost all of us, unless we were homeschooled, uh, experienced in school of like showing up, and making sure that you're saying the right things to your uh, leadership and making sure you're, you have a good attendance record and you're passing the test. Like that system trains us. So you're talking about a, a good uh, friendship circle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're that a healthy circle of friends does not have any of those like systems in place, right? Like, so, right. It, so there, there is like this, we. So if a church, we don't notice our church attendance falling, the less we told people, hey, you better be here. And we noticed our giving started falling when we stopped saying, uh, doing a tithing sermon. We don't even, we just have a, a basket in the back. We don't say anything about it. Um, and so there is this, I believe for many people, especially people that have grown up in the church, there is this very ingrained system that they're used to responding to certain um, motivations and certain, I don't want to, I'm going to use the word manipulations, but that makes them sound a little bit more, I think, like evil than they really are. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're not used, without those promptings maybe is a better word, like they're not used to, uh, how many times, I know, I've gone to church in my, you know, when I was younger, I I probably had gone to church a hundred times when I didn't want to. And the reason why I went was my pastor's going to be mad at me, so I'm going to go, <laughs> right? That was why I went. And it's like, so there are, that's a system. When that, you know, gets removed from the system, that angry pastor, that would have been a hundred times I wouldn't have gone to church, right? So I do think there are these different things that are within the system that do manipulate us a little bit in order to show up regularly and to give regularly. And again, I'm not, this isn't about a checklist and, uh, you know, this exact activity is is an unhealthy activity. But I think, uh, you know, when you're trying to create a healthy culture, a good circle of friends to be around, you're going to, it's the same thing if like I have a friend who I go to meet I go to hang out with him and I show up late or I have to cancel on him and he holds it over my head next time, you know, like that's not healthy either. Right. So that is, um, that there's a culture around, I guess what I'm trying to get at. That is, uh, what we're trying to at least 
think through and try to identify just I am very manipulative. I can be very manipulative with my friends. You know, like when I say um, I'm I'm almost there when I haven't even left my house yet or something like that. Right. Because <laughs> I don't want them to be mad at me that I'm running late. Like I do little things like that all the time. And I think those things, those same little, you know, manipulations happen naturally um, within a church leadership structure. And so that's um, what we've been on this journey of trying to identify within ourselves What little things do I do? Because I get validated based off the number of people that show up. It's true. And I wish that wasn't the case. If very few people show up on a Sunday morning, I go home and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And if there's a bunch of people that show up, I, I, you know, leave feeling on top of the world. So if that exists, if I see that in myself, that I have that tendency to be validated through attendance, it it's only natural that there's going to be something within me that tries to manipulate people to show up so I can get that validation. And so that's really the journey that we've been on it as a, as pastors, me and my friend Jason is like, how do we, you know, we're examining our, our vocabulary, examining our liturgy for all those little areas where manipulations might be hiding. It's a fine line and it's a fine line. Even I was thinking about, um, you you want to ask you want something to happen and so you have a dis, a choice of how you're going to ask um you could tell you could just say hey you need to do this and it's almost a, it's a demand or or there's a, there's a, a a much healthier way i just think of marriage like there's certain things you want to happen like man i'm hurt by this I can let this go and just kind of give grace forever and ever, but I really need this to happen because it's hurting me or it's not creating a good friendship or community or health within marriage specifically. And so at some point you find a way, um, hopefully um, a husband or wife finds a way to ask. um, I really, you know, this it doesn't feel right, and it's uh, it's hurting me. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't ask people, you know, at the church for money. You know, it's really hurting me that you're not giving. <laughs> yeah. But there's but but there's always a way. There's always a way. God finds a way if you'll listen. That'll guide us to, you know, ask for what is true and what's good and what's going to be helpful um, within a marriage or community or friendship, whatever it might be. I know I'm off on a tangent yeah. here, but there's there's a health to, you know, what you're talking about in church and creating church and community, and um, I'm, I'm just amazed that you're you're really walking with the agnostic and the atheist, and but you're you're creating that, and that's that's awesome. It's well, great. yeah, I, I think it's I think it's evidence to the fact that they. Um, no matter what you believe, you're longing for some authentic community. You're longing for a place where you can be vulnerable, where you can be your true self. And you will walk into a gathering or a meeting space um, that is labeled a church, even if you're an atheist. Um, you will walk into that gathering if you know I can walk in here and how, and I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. I don't have to pretend to have beliefs I don't have. Um, I can walk in and I'll be accepted just as I am and I can I can be vulnerable and I can share my struggles and I can share my my pain uh, and no one's going to look at me like I'm crazy right like that people want that community and you were talking about um, 
you know, raising money, like, you know, hopefully people don't feel guilted to do it. Hopefully they, they give their money because they, they think what is happening is worthy of their, like their, their support. Right. And that's really our model. That's totally our model for, um, for finances. And that's totally our model for attendance is I see it as my job. Uh, so we do a lot of, um, our goal is to have over 50% of our budget spent outside of the church. Um, and so that re- does require a lot of, yeah. um, fundraising, you know, uh, so we, we do, yeah, lots of events that require people to give their money. Uh, and so our model is, it's mainly my job to do the very best I can to present what we're, the meaning behind what we're doing and why I find it meaningful and like, and to be authentic and say, Hey, like I truly, truly find this meaningful. Um, I hope that you find it meaningful too. And you just kind of like set it out there and hope people are agree. Right. And if they don't, they don't. And that's okay. Um, we, there's a lot of different ways to do church and there's lots of different ways, um, to, to do community. And so we, we, I see it as my job just to market in a sense. I hate that word, but like to present and package what we do and why we do it and the meaning behind it. And then just kind of like put it out into the universe and hopefully um, other people also find that meaningful. And how much did you say you, you, your goal is to get 50% out of the money that goes to your church to be spent outside of the church? Yeah, that's the, 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 their council, um, that's the goal that they set, is that 50% of the money that comes in um, goes out and doesn't get spent um, on any of a, what we call operations. Wow. So anything uh, that isn't operations, you know, that's the, which it's, there's years where we, we hit that goal. And then there's years when we don't. Um, in the last four years, I think we've done it for uh, maybe like, a collective like 36 of those 48 months they're not you know all in a row um but that's definitely the goal yeah so maybe like i think i think this is ballpark and we can fact check this later we probably won't but if you you know different let us know uh 15 percent or so thereabouts is kind of the typical church budget that's designed to go out so that's a significant difference and all these things go away. All these attendance issues and all budget and all that stuff goes away. You know, if if there weren't paid staff or a, a building fund or you know whatever it is, and those none of those things are wrong. And man, Todd, Ryan, Joey, I love you guys, and they get paid and they do well. At those these are, guys are our, at guys. our church <laughs> at our church. Uh, yeah, and I I have. I don't have a problem with what we're doing specifically. I'm just, I'm wondering if the ideal is where people don't rely on that income to do church because then you don't have to worry about attendance. You don't have to, you know, as a pastor, you don't have to fit into things you don't or lie about what you believe just because your family depends on it. Is that, yeah. Is that an ideal that we should be striving for, in your opinion? Or is that where the church is headed? Prediction time. Is that where the church is headed? Or should it be heading there? <laughs> yeah. I know there's yeah, no I mean, great, you're, perfect you're, answer, but... No, but you're... you're uh, I think you, you hit the head on the nail there. I, I think that there is um, nothing at all wrong about being paid to do ministry. 
I think it's actually very um, traditionally underpaid, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, there's also nothing wrong with having a building by any means. I personally could not, um, when I was starting, you know, to plant my own church, I could not fathom a world in which my biggest attender, our biggest giver, should I say, uh, wanted me to take a certain stance and I, and I didn't take it. Like I couldn't picture that happening. I knew I would, I knew if I had a certain, um, standard of living that I set up off of a paycheck and, and it gets really complicated when you start having a staff and you have health insurance plans and you have, you know, and they have kids and like, there's all these different, um, really, it, it gets really messy. And so I personally didn't want to be caught in that mess and in a situation where I'm a pastor and I have to decide to, um, oh, I don't know, not back Trump uh, or something like that. Uh, I, I, I knew it would be a really difficult situation. So I personally decided I never wanted to get paid to do ministry. Um, I do think though, that that is a, a way that a lot of, um, that's the way that, you know, you can make a budget like ours work. So, and to be completely honest, I do get, um, I do get paid from our church. Our council wouldn't, I, I presented a budget where I didn't get paid, uh, and they would not approve that. They wouldn't vote it. So what I do is they take that money and then I give a lot of it back to the church, which is, uh, stupid exercise and futility. And, they're, uh, but I also, um, I pay for coaching and things like that, or I buy books or whatever. Like I, I, I put it back into the efforts that I'm, um, you know, it's basically just like rerouting the funds in different ways. Um, I do that as much as I can. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I just did I did want to be honest about that. Like I do technically get, um, a very, I mean, it's a very small amount of money. I, if I was hourly, um, it's probably like $3 an hour or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but I totally believe that if the church, I do think if the church wants to continue, if, if the church is honest about their goals of reaching, finding people who don't, have not gone to church their whole lives and getting them to start going to church, that that is a very, that's a bad business model. Those people, like I said, don't attend. Those people don't give. And so if you really, well, if that's really your goal, then you are going to need to readjust your budget. Excuse me, you're going to need to readjust your budget and you're going to need to readjust your attendance expectations. Well, maybe you should, maybe the new title of Meaningful Again should be How One Poor Pastor Questioned Everything and Found <laughs> <laughs> Uncertainty. Be, one pastor became poorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we've, the, um, I mean, I'll just be honest with you because I don't really, we're, we're very, we send budget updates every month as to where we're at as a church right. and we, we show everybody our, um, we send publicly out what our budget is. And so in the last, so four years, when I started, um, working alongside Jason, his, his salary was $3,500 a month, which isn't a lot. Um, that's not, not like a health pack, like no healthcare package, no retirement, mm -hmm. no anything like that. Um, and he is now, uh, he actually moved uh, to Memphis. And so last year I became the, the sole pastor, but so it went from $3,500 a month last year, uh, down to now it's $750 is what they've, that was as low as the, the council would go. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean, just to give you an idea hmm. what that is monthly, wow. um, what, what we're spending. All right. I got a couple more questions for you. Curious because you've changed a lot and it sounds like you're open to change just in general. What is, um, a religious or political or any view that you kind of hold right now that you can kind of sense shifting? Is there something that you could see in the future you changing on that you currently would say you hold? Honestly, I think if it's anything, I'm, um, I see myself changing back to something closer to what I probably originally believed. It's not necessarily, I, I went so far in the other direction um, in my deconstruction and I really was okay with not believing um, anything. Not, I, I still don't know what I believe and I, and I say that every Sunday morning that it's a, you know, we, we start every service um, off saying that. It's called the Sojourner's Prayer. Uh, we say, you know, if you don't know what you believe, um, that's okay, we don't either. Uh, and so that being said, I, I think if I made any change, it would probably make it be a change towards um, actually knowing what I believe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or actually standing a little bit more firmly on something. Right. Uh, you know, but I, I, and I, yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely in a season right now where I'm just okay with not having a definitive stance on anything. Um, that's something that I've, I think I've been, uh, it's kind of been a challenge, I guess, where I, you know, I, I wanted that certainty and I was trying to identify what it was within me that like desperately wanted that. And so as an antidote to that, I was just trying to get to a place where it was okay if I didn't believe anything at all. Uh, or if I didn't know what I believed, I could live in that tension of not knowing and it's okay. I'm not going to, you know, catch on fire, be struck by lightning. So I do think if it's anything that changes, it might be, I actually have, a, I'll change to actually having a position <laughs> on the topic. And you can feel that coming maybe a little bit. sounds like. Well, yeah. yeah the, ahead, sorry, no, part ahead. of it is, uh, uh, is, is having, I have a, um, a 13 month old, uh, and I see my sister, both my sisters have seven, uh, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to, um, they're going through their own deconstruction too. And they're like, do we pray with our kids? What do we tell our kids about God? All that kind of stuff. So I, that, that's part of where I think that's, that feeling is coming from is that like, I, I do want to have some, you know, children need that certainty for right. sure. Uh, there, there's, you know, um, so I think that might be where some of that's coming from. Nice. So in a, in a chapter seven, which is titled Boring Theology and the Apostle Paul. <laughs> um, so you talk about things that are uh, uh, boring or, or theologies that are boring, and then uh, on page 59 you talk about the resurrection. Um, so you say, um, an often discussed topic that quickly becomes dull is whether or not the resurrection of Jesus was literal or figurative. Um, and then... And then on the next page, you say, I now find that discussion to be uninteresting and slightly irrelevant. Um, so do you, and I, I, I apologize, I did not, I did not uh, read the rest of the chapter, but um, are you... Explain yourself. From, from your perspective, well, I, I think the question would be fairly, fairly obvious. Would, are you, on the resurrection, are you you're saying it's irrelevant that Jesus, does, it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead um 
Yeah, so I think that question, um, I think there's a lot of those um, like precious little, I don't know if you want to call them babies, that people like protect when it comes to their theology. And when I talk about it becoming boring and, ir- boring and irrelevant, I mean it from a sense of, you know, some people make it a, a hill that needs to, <laughs> a hill to die upon, no pun intended. Um, but the, uh, I, I think that uh, a topic like the resurrection, a lot of people can find meaning in that and get a, and you know get a lot out of having a, an official stance on it. I'm not trying to say that um, if you believe one way or the other that that's what's boring. It's the debate back and forth of like trying to nail that down and, and defend it and have all the apologetics behind it. And that's the, the conversation that I, I found myself in all the time. And I started slowly finding it more and more boring. And I talk about it, um, where would I go with that chapter, where I go right after I um, mention the resurrection is a much more interesting question uh, I find now is where do you see death and new life in your life presently? Hmm. Like where are you experiencing yeah. resurrection in your life? Um, where are you experiencing the you know an old version of yourself um, going to the wayside and a new version of yourself um, growing and, and becoming? And that those kind of questions and those like that's where I think the meaning is behind the the resurrection. No matter where you stand on it being literal, figurative, historical, any of that. Um, you can argue till you're blue and you're blue in the face around on that topic. But at the end of the day, what I'm interested in is like, is that resurrection story being found in your life? Yeah, I'd be, that I'd be, I mean, I'd be probably drawing down. I'd be curious to find, be curious as to why you take, kind of take those things as mutually exclusive, why you couldn't say, Hey, Jesus actually died and rose from died and rose. And if he didn't, then you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And also at the same time say, and I care about where you are in your life, and are you rising to new life? Um, um, right. So, I mean, would you say that that it's okay for someone to just flat out deny that uh, Jesus rising from the dead? Like, no, I mean, <laughs> that's serious because it is yeah, a yeah, central yeah. tenet of ah. the faith, and to 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 just say to to make a statement like it's to be uninteresting and slightly irrelevant. I mean, you could see how. A lot of people would would have an issue with that, right? Including one third of this podcast, including including ninety nine out of a hundred Christians. Yeah. So um, th- so so what? You know, maybe maybe <laughs> yeah, no, Jesus didn't I, exist at all, and and that's okay too. Uh, it's the idea of Jesus that's what that's what matters. It's the idea that he rose from the dead that's what matters. I mean, at at some point you take away all these things that may or may not actually have happened and. You're like you're left with a truly just a story of someone who may or may not have existed, and you yeah. know you see you see what you see that. I definitely do, and I I respect that. And I respect um, your your respect for the resurrection being um, literal and historical. I think that um, it's a barrier, and I think that you might say it's a. Um, a, a barrier that should should be there, and that's a necessary barrier. Uh, but again, I, I feel like if, if our church is designed to be a church where all people are welcome and where people who um, are atheists um, maybe would be interested in the story of Jesus, a prerequisite um, for them finding that interest doesn't have to be that they believe it, it is uh, historical and literal, 
right? So they might eventually get there, but I feel like they're more likely to get to a place where they do see it and being historical if we're if we communicate and have a culture that says it's okay if you believe it's. And you said you also said it was just a story, and there's no just about it. It, it you know you you can take all the historical. Um, I mean, well, and just as we opposed all, to actually we, happening or actually have happened. right. Well, we all. I, I think I can safely say all four of us get a lot of meaning out of stories that never happened and have our lives changed by stories that never happened. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I don't think anyone really thinks that the, uh, um, you know, every parable that Jesus said, I don't think it, people are like, oh, that actually happened. There actually was a farmer who hired these, like, you know, it's you still think a that story that's what I'm that saying? never no, happened. But, I mean, wait, you, you cut out for a good section there. <laughs> <laughs> that last, like, oh, sorry. Well, I mean, it's not your fault. It's I blame uh, whatever you have, Cox or AT and T or whatever. <laughs> but it, it, uh, the the resurrection is uh, should not be compared to a parable, uh, whereas we can go, oh, the parable may or may not have happened. From your, um, for, in the same way, not just from my perspective. Uh, well, it, no, definitely, because if an atheist comes and they can find meaning in the Jesus story, and similarly to where you would recognize a parable is not necessarily literal truth, but it can't, contains actual truths. Um, if an atheist gets their foot in the door because they can see the meaning behind death and resurrection, I think that's where, where his why? church is coming from. If I argue well, with an atheist sure. that the, this well, happened, this happened, and I burn that person and they walk away, do you think, because it, do you I think want, it's better to say... Or I can well, create I friendship and community, Jesus, and the, as, Jesus as Brandon's saying, may, they will come around Jesus may to may possibly then accepting risen. that, man, Jesus, th- there's so much more to the story, <laughs> and I didn't even know it. risen from the dead. I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't a, know if they're Jesus. I don't know if Jesus like is real. Well, none of us know. No. Okay. Some of us. <laughs> well, I, I know, but <laughs> here, hey, ask him, Ask Brandon the, the ask ask Brandon the final question. <laughs> that was the if that if that's the stance. Hey, I don't. I can't know anything. That's okay. true. All right, okay. we're we're making progress. <laughs> I don't even know if you're here, Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't. I don't know if this is a dream. Uh, this. I, I don't know. I'm a hologram. I don't know if I'm married. I. You know, I. You're not. I could be a billionaire. Right, let's, let's get some thought. <laughs> I mean, wait, wait. wait. So what, what, one last thing here. So that that statement is in, is without. You know, I will own that statement as being somewhat intentionally provocative, right? Um, it was meant to create that that type of reaction, 100. Uh, percent But what I do think uh, that aside is that there uh, are lots of people that I know very well uh, who believe in a literal resurrection and they can defend. I could, you know, have my own podcast, apologetic podcast, and I could have, you know, my, my aunt on and she could talk to me probably for 10 hours about proving that the, the resurrection is true um, or is historical and literal. And at the same time, she could tell me, some off she could be the most evil person <laughs> you know what i mean sure, like, like again those two are not body resurrection not, one does not no, pre- they're, they're, thoughts, they're not mutually ex- right yeah i know they're not mutually exclusive what i'm saying though is that statement was um was directed towards this idea that i know a lot of people who believe it to be true 
um, or they claim they believe it to be true, but their lives are not a reflection of it being true. Sure. Um, they, they have an intellectual belief about it, but they don't actually, their life doesn't really reflect that. And that is where, that's where I, I find it being more of an interesting question is like, where do you see resurrection in your life? Um, where are you living that out? That's what the, the point of that question, our point of presenting that as a, um, a topic of discussion. That's a much less boring to conversation to have. Whether that's or not all, that's someone all thinks I'm saying, it's boring... Yeah. According to scripture, that's like the one of the, the central theme uh, is the resurrection. Yeah, Paul, Scott, this so is I, the application part of it, though. But, but you should not you should not attempt to make the application part uh, uh, that as that the important to the as you <laughs> you don't do that by denigrating the uh, the tenant. I think Brandon it's, would not, recognize the point there. I think, yeah, well, when up, it's hold, uninteresting hold and boring, he explained. Come on, it. to me, that, that is to me you're personally. Den- you're denigrating I, resurrection. I, I, you admitted you didn't. You read denigrated it. the resurrection. <laughs> I personally do find it boring. That doesn't mean it's boring for all people. That doesn't mean it's boring. That doesn't mean that it is filed away on the shelf of my mind of being boring. It's that I find those conversations boring. That I personally do. It doesn't mean that it's a, yeah. And um, this conversation where we're all like actually engaging with it, that's not boring to me, right? And that was a largely part, part like why I wrote that sentence was to have conversations like these, um, and not to um, just have another apologetics yeah. book that defends the literal, you know, accuracy of it. And you would, I'm guessing, Brandon, if if you were able to hear from the Apostle Paul right now, and he's like, "Look, man." I totally disagree with that statement. I think it's rubbish. You'd probably be like, yeah, I would expect no less. Like, I, I get it. I get it, Paul. You disagree with me. You're not expect, You're not making like a final statement on, on what is final truth, and it may be something you circle back around to. Yes. And also, you said it's one of the central uh, tenets. It is a central tenet, but um, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to how it got there when you look at the, um, and I, I know all the arguments um, behind like all scriptures are pointing towards resurrection right. or whatever, but really the, the four gospels, it's only mentioned at the very end, right? Uh, so there's way more text dedicated to, um, you know, how Jesus was living, how he's interacting with people, how he's treating people. There's way more focus on that. Now, of course, when you see what, you know, all the letters of Paul, of course, he talks about the crucifixion um, and he talks about resurrection, but in the gospel, Gospels, it's not the it's not the it's the end of the story. It's not the whole story. Oh, absolutely. I'm and not, I, and I'm I'm not, not trying, saying that. I'm just yeah. I'm just making. You made a statement about the resurrection specifically, so that's what I'm talking about, right? I, I'm not I'm not trying to expand it beyond the statement that you made. I mean, because that, that's all I have to go off. of. Okay, that's what you made. All right. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. For, You're welcome. Uh, just, You're you affirmed, know. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Jeff. Do you do you do you understand that it's. Uh, you don't elevate the the way to elevate something community uh a good life uh all that you don't you don't do that by denigrating something else okay our guest has explained that his opinion is 
it's it's a boring I'm conversation. As his it's opinion. a it's yes. a boring conversation to him. And we and we and now we're <laughs> leaving that. And I, can I acknowledge that. And our okay. and our listeners can. I'm not, I'm not applying it to anybody else because. Brandon are you wrote able? It. Are you able? And to our take listeners bone can out think. Of your mouth. I mean, no, I, I mean, I'm Scott, good. I'm I mean, okay. Scott, <laughs> Scott. I'm okay. One if pastor questioned everything and found comfort in uncertainty. For goodness sakes, it's in the title. If the resurrection isn't that important to you guys. Then fine, I'm okay. Oh, I, I'm not okay with that. But for this conversation, sure. I don't think anyone said it wasn't. I don't think any. I I never said it wasn't important. I, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Can you let it? Yeah, I think can it's you really let Next, the opinions don't, be? Don't, don't no. Don't put that on me. You guys, you guys keep bringing it up again too. So just no, do whatever we're not. You we're want. trying to just move go, on and land this plane, Scott. Oh, go for it. Okay. <laughs> this is, just yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, let's end it. I'm gonna throw a softball in the back yeah. of your head playing left field tonight. <laughs> do it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Last question, Brandon. This is serious. So this is deadly serious. More serious than the resurrection. Definitely. All right. Imagine. Imagine you're walking into the gates of the New Jerusalem. What, whatever that means to you, you're walking into the gates of the New Jerusalem, and they're playing your walk-in music. What What is your song that you're walking into, and who is escorting you in, living or dead? Who's your hype person, basically? Living or dead, that could be anybody. Well, listen, I don't want to get anybody riled up again, but I don't believe in a literal heaven, but um, <laughs> the... Uh, it's easy. Uh, One day is the name of the song by UGK, and it's all about dying. Uh, and who's escorting me, man? Richard Dawkins. Ooh, whoa! Very interesting. I like it. <laughs> I'm a monkey. <laughs> I've actually. I, no, let me change to Ricky Gervais. Actually, no, I don't like both of those guys. I'm just trying to think. Of, they drive me nuts, but I'm just trying to think of the most, the least expected. I think Ricky would probably drive you nuts either. with that ridiculous fake laugh. <laughs> well, that, those are good answers. We've never had those answers before. I mean, definitely not a couple of atheists, like hardcore atheists. Nice. Yeah. yeah but... It, uh, but yeah, one day by UGK. Nice. That's my. That's definitely my song. Awesome. All right. Well, Brandon, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. And uh, sparring with Scott a little bit at yeah, the end. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, yeah, I do too. No, no, yeah, and that's like I said, that's why I wrote what I wrote. Um, and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, genuinely, uh, this uh, this conversation, I really enjoyed yeah. it. I, I would have this conversation again and again, not on microphone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe one day <laughs> I would. I would. I would choose to have it. Right. Nice. <laughs> well, the last part yeah. was really boring to me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us give us your details. Like, obviously, people go to get meaningful again by Brandon Carlton on Amazon. But what else should people know about you? Yeah. Oh, in your podcast, so you I got have a podcast. A, yeah, so the I have um so the the website for the book is just meaningfulagain.com. Uh my Twitter handle is BC the Heretic. Uh you can follow me on there. Um and definitely feel free to reach out on Facebook and just befriend me, uh Brandon Carlton. Uh yeah, my podcast it is not um 
It is not religious. It is called Ode to the Underdog, and it is all about small businesses and small um, like musicians and artists and picking their brains. I, I think musicians are their own individual small businesses. Uh, so it's picking their brains as far as what they've uh, done in our size of market, which is about 350,000 people, uh, how they've managed to like be successful and um, keep their doors open. Uh, and it's a lot, it's like really short 15, 20 minute interviews, and it's a very diverse group of people we interview. Uh, yeah, it's called Ode to the Underdog, is the name of that podcast. Nice. Nice. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the beer. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. yeah, the beer is good. Beer was delicious and is delicious. We still have a can or two, but it will be consumed shortly. <laughs> Oh, you broke up a little you bit. You just cut out. Were you saying thank you for the beer? Yes, yes, thank you for the beer. It's delicious. And we're going to keep drinking it. Hi, that vanilla porter is so velvety, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's good. There's like this. There's a little bit like molasses in there, too, and it's not... The, the vanilla is not overbearing. It's, it's really balanced. Yeah. I usually don't like vanilla porters, but that one, for some reason, I really like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you also for sending the beer. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, nice. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Scott, I don't understand why you wait to the last minute. You sat for like I would have loved to be in that conversation, but Zach's like Hey, let's let's go. So, and I was in agreement. And then you get going. And he's like, I got two more questions. You, he asks us one. Yeah, and then I we got one more. I, Don't gosh darn it! I, I would have loved to have had more of that conversation. But my my being an a hole in that moment was like, dude, you had forty five minutes to speak up. What the heck? Why don't you do well, that right off the bat? Because I I think that if I because I'm the because like Zach pointed out. I'm the one with the bone that I can't let go of.